All right, welcome back. I'm Matt, here with Cam. It's been a busy couple weeks for us. Exciting weekend for us, though. We uh, got to participate in the Gold Star Monument. Yep. That was pretty sweet. It was brought to our city. It was, uh, it was awesome. Very good dedication. A lot of important people showed up, minus us. Yeah, we just filled the seats, you know. Family members, us, whatever. Um, we talked about it multiple episodes ago about the importance of the gold star monument. If you guys don't know anything about it, go ahead and look it up. It's for a great cause for the people who gave all for our country and for the family members, um, friends, associates, uh, that had to, uh, have a hole left in their life because of someone that gave all. So, Look it up. We will be continuing to uh, push the T-shirts that we put out a, a long time ago. And all of the profit's going to go toward the upkeep of our local monument. But at the same time, if, if you are in a different city, a different state than us, hit us up on Facebook, Clearing Corners. Reach out to us, and uh, we'll be more than willing to work with you in doing a T-shirt fundraiser as well. Um, lots to talk about this go round. Uh, came across an article that we wanted to talk about, and it comes from Police One. And it was actually written by a guy named John John M. Williams Sr., M.D., with a lot of other letters behind his name. I think that means he's educated. A lot, a lot of letters behind his name. Anyway, let me tell you a little bit about John before we jump into this article. I really liked it. I read through it, and actually both Cam and I have read through it. We'd love to share it with you, which is why we're going to be talking about it this episode. There's a lot of uh, misconceptions, myths, so to speak, about law enforcement, about policing out there, and uh, many of the things that he put into this article, spot on, stuff that we deal with on a daily basis. And things that are said and, and a lot of the topics that are criticized within the law enforcement world. But John, he's a physician with a master's of public health degree, board certified in both occupational medicine uh, and ophthalmology. He is also a retired Navy medical officer, combat veteran, and former Marine Corps medical battalion commander. Um, he put together this article on Police One, like I said that goes over myths and I love the, the first portion of the, of the article that he put in here it says police business. He said almost gently is a hell of a problem. It's a good deal. Like politics, it asks for the highest type of men and there's nothing in it to attract the highest type of men. So we have to work with what we get and we get things like this. Raymond Chandler wrote this in the Philip Marlowe detective novel novel, the Lady in the Lake, that was published in 1943. So that was something that was published in 1943, <clears throat> talking about how difficult law enforcement is. And we live in a day and age when you have Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and the news media that is constantly talking about 
uh, social justice and the push and, and a lot of the narratives that are out there with law enforcement. And it becomes frustrating. And I love how John went into, we're going to be talking about 10 myths, but the first one he talks or, or he mentions is something that we hear a lot. Any high school graduate can be a cop. This is a way we, I, I don't know how often you've heard it within your career, Cam, but I hear it um, when they want to get underneath your skin. They're t- basically, this is a way that people say cops are uneducated and anybody can do it. If you have a high school diploma, you can put on a badge and be a cop. We know, and John knew, and this is why he put it in the article, many agencies require college credits or military service. The selection process is daunting, a written exam, physical exam, physical ability testing, psychological screening, drug testing, polygraph, oral board, and a probing background check, which many candidates will fail. Recruits face up to six months or more of training in the academy and criminal law, arrest control, de-escalation techniques, firearms, driving, first aid, mental health, and other subjects. A cop is equal parts warrior, paralegal, medic, behavioral health specialist, detective, and social worker. And he goes on and on and on and on. Now, my own perspective, I will say this. Here's my, my personal background with my family. I, I graduated with a bachelor degree from a major college. Uh, I'm, I'm proud to say it. I graduated from Arizona State with a bachelor degree in justice studies. I would not look at myself as being an un- uneducated individual. My family background, my father always taught education, education. My father is an attorney. I have two brothers that are attorneys. From a personal perspective and how I grew up, I was always taught to love education and knowledge. I can honestly say that since I've been a law enforcement officer, I have met some of the smartest people I've ever come across. No matter what profession. That goes with uh, politicians I've met, city officials I've met, attorneys that I've worked with. I can honestly say that I would put many of the officers up there in terms of education. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And, and education is just one, one portion of this, you know, it's not so easy as, as you read from the the article that you don't just apply and, and you get the job, you know, we'll have, we're across the nation. There's a shortage of police officers. It's not that we have a shortage of people putting in to be a police officer. There's plenty of that. It's, our selection process will wipe out if we have 40 people put in for a position, we may only look at two of those people. Exactly. Come the end of the day. Oh, yeah. And, and he talked about the selection process and the hiring process and all those things and all those tests that they have to go through. Um, we may, within our department, other departments, we may start off with 100 candidates. And then by the time you whittle them down and did they pass all those tests that they were supposed to, we may end up with 30. And then of those 30, did they, did they uh, qualify and meet the standards in the oral board, you know, when they finally got to that portion uh, with a board that may be made of, of our department's heads and, and officers, uh, field training officers? It's a daunting task to just go through the process of being hired. Now, he talks about in the article how you're probably going to be put with a field training officer for a few weeks, depending on what 
department you're with, it may be a few weeks talking with our department. That's not even phase one. We have three phases that we uh, put our trainees through. And phase one is even longer than just a few weeks. And so it is a, a constant, I guess you could say drinking through a fire hose mm. type experience, especially for, if you're talking a lateral, yeah, they know how to be a cop and, and they just have to learn how to be a cop in the new area and the new department that they're in. But if you're a brand new out of the academy officer, there is so much they have to learn. Yeah, and not everywhere is created equal or the same. There's some states that require uh, like an associate's degree at least or three years experience of as being an officer before you can get hired on there as LEO. But then there's also, we've all dealt with, or not necessarily everyone, but I have. Um, you've dealt with some officers that you're like, that elevator's not going all the way to the top. Yeah, We get it. There are some small out there agencies that, they maybe have a what we refer to as like a satellite academy mm-hmm. um, yeah. where they can kind of pay their own way to get certified and then get hired on by like a small agency that, you know, it's, it's just there because there needs to be someone there, kind of like the Barney Fife of... And nobody's putting in. Yeah. Yeah. We'll take you. We'll but take you. for um, the run-of-the-mill, what's required, there is a lot. And in an agency that's our size or bigger or even half the size of ours, um, there's going to be continuing education that's going on as well. Um, Our job never stops training and learning new ways. Um, And if you can't learn those, officers have been uh, terminated, you know, put on administrative leave. If they can't meet the standards that are required to keep up with case law and all those things, then this isn't the profession for you. And that's, that's a regular thing nationwide. Departments all the time get rid of officers that are just, they're not up to par. And so, I mean, obviously we hear this, right? Any high school graduate can be a cop. From a field training standpoint, and Cam, you were, you were extremely um, involved with our training program before you promoted, but as, as myself, me, myself going through as a trainer now, I see how much education is put into these individuals' heads in, in really a short amount of time. Now, we have multiple phases that we take someone through, and so it's not like we're just training them for three weeks and saying, all right, there you go. Now just be a cop, figure it out as you go. It's extensive training, but it's agonizing at times. Yep. It's a lot of remedial training. It's a lot of, uh, as a trainer, me getting on the trainee and saying, how many times have we been through this? It, it's pressure. Yeah. It's pressure. It, you're not just sitting in a classroom and listen to listening to a lecture, going home, studying the material from a book that's given to you off of one subject, and then you go and take the test. We have to be educated in state law. We have to be educated in city law. We have to be educated in department policy. We have to be educated in city policy. There are so many things that we have to be educated in, not just in the laws, but we haven't even talked about, oh, by the way, you have to go through mental health crisis training. You have to go through defensive tactic training. You have to keep up your physical fitness. There are just so many categories Medical. that's thrown at a cop. Medical. Yeah, you just went through the training uh, for the SWAT team in, in terms of uh, TAC med. So just so many things that officers have to do. 
And so if you ever hear, if any of our listeners ever, ever hear anyone say, anyone can be a cop, uh, prove it. Yeah, and, and where we're going with this is, are there states out there that all you need is a high school diploma in order to get your foot in that door? Sure. That is, that is uh, an option in several states. But not any high school graduate can no. make that. In fact, they're, no. they've got an uphill battle. I came from the military stance. You came from the educated stance as well as life experience. And that is crucial. When you see a new officer come in, and a lot of times they wash through the FTO process when they don't have that life experience because mm-hmm. it, is, it is such a daunting task to take on law enforcement. Crucial. Crucial. All right, moving on to myth number two. I've heard this. It's kind of new to me, though, and uh, this one opened my eyes a little bit because I never even realized it, but when you compare it to the private sector, it's, it's crazy how much uh, we don't have to protect us. But cops have a workplace safety protection, uh, protection program just like the rest of us, and that's not accurate. In fact, uh, as the article that John wrote mentions, as the police watch out for us, who is looking out for them? As public sector workers, they are not covered by federal OSHA standards in 24 states. He's from Colorado, he says, including my home state of Colorado and Washington, D.C. And the remaining 26 states, inspections are infrequent. And there are a few specific health and safety standards that apply to law enforcement work. Construction, refinery, and factory workers have more protections under OSHA than any cop does. It's kind of blew my mind. I never even really thought about that. But when you think of OSHA and the laws that are put into place to protect uh, workers in a private sector, yeah. we have like zero of that. You know yeah. what I mean? Everything about our job is hazardous. <laughs> Any, I mean, we have things in place to help us in hazardous situations. But you're talking being exposed to bodily fluids um, like you had to that one time running into a house to pull a dog out, you know what I mean? And, and the carbon monoxide that's in there. Uh, there's just so many things as a law enforcement officer that we are thrown into mm-hmm. that in an OSHA world would be like, oh, no, that's not acceptable. Yeah, it's not. No, we're it, not going to do that. Further into that article, it talks about fatigue. Um, yeah, right. I mean, a lot of this, we have policies in place for our officers, but that's just policy. That's not, uh, and that's our agency. You know, if you if someone works for a small agency or, or a large agent, very large agency, it just doesn't have the time or effort to really, you know, think of each officer as a person. Instead, they're more of yeah. like a number. Right. Yeah. There's uh, you think about it's very easy, especially in our old realm investigations where you get called out and it's just one thing after another and you're going right. long, long hours and even our policy does not say you will not work over this many right. hours. It's uh, you shouldn't. But, you know, if there's those circumstances that put you beyond that, there's just no, you know, on this article, it brings up long haul trucking and something like that where they've got their mandated hours. Right. Mm-hmm. My, my father in law is a truck driver and his truck won't let you drive more than X amount of hours. Um, we don't have that. No. But yet we're still expected to respond to a robbery in progress and make that right decision as you roll up. Or you talk about our investigations day. You and I both know that once uh, a homicide came out, oh, yeah. we knew we were on for at least 24 hours, yeah. at least 24 hours. Now think about that. OSHA would be like, huh? We're fatigued. We have to go home. 
get a short amount of sleep, depending on the follow-up that needed to be done on that homicide, we're back out. You have to get sleep sometime, but we knew for a fact, I mean, there was a couple call-outs that we had. We had already put in a 10 to 12-hour day. Boom, a homicide comes in, and you know that you got at least 12 to 14 to 16 more. Next week, I'll get some sleep. <laughs> I'll, get some, I'll get some sleep next week. Yeah, OSHA, slap on the hand. Cops just don't have it. Um, so please be mindful of that. When that myth comes out, you know, you, oh, you guys are protected. No, not like the private sector. And to be honest with you, not even like a lot of the government. I mean, if you're a politician, you don't, you don't have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. You may have deadlines with certain laws and, and before the government shuts down and you got to get a deal in and you got to get a law passed and you have to go across the aisle and convince them. Um, yeah, there may be some long hours, but not, not like, like, like a first responder, you know, not like doctors, not like nurses, um, firefighters, and especially cops. Myth number three in the article, we just need to offer more money and bonuses. Then we can get more people to work in law enforcement. Because mm. this is a popular one right now. And we hear, oh, this is true, people. Just do your research. Officers are leaving law enforcement in droves. In droves. They are fed up. They don't like the national uh, narrative that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of laws that are being put into place are making our job even more difficult of an already difficult career. Yeah. And they're like, ah, let's just throw more money and bonuses out there. We'll get more people, which is not true there. And again, he goes into it. John says there are law enforcement staffing crisis in many major cities. And he specifically mentioned Seattle, Minneapolis, Baltimore, Atlanta, and Chicago, which you know about Minneapolis, by the way. Mm-hmm. But these are just to name a few. Um, I want to give an example here of some of the laws that are put into place. This is actually uh, one of our good friends who works out of Washington for a department just outside of Seattle. Seattle. Yeah. And he actually hit us up after our evading episode. Remember this? I shared it with you, and we, uh, we talked about it. We were blown away in terms of, of what he said was happening up in Washington per the new laws that were being put into place. And it has a lot to do with that whole uh, social justice, uh, we need to reform law enforcement, uh, defund the police type stuff. But here's what he wrote. And again, this had to do with the evading portion, but it goes well with this myth that we can just throw money and that people are going to stay in law enforcement and put up with it. He said... Uh, Let us know that he just listened to the podcast on pursuits. And he said, it's a huge problem in Washington. We do two new laws. We cannot pursue anything anymore. Kidnapping is pretty much it. The problem that they run into is not caused by chasing anyone. It's, uh, it's that that anymore has caused all crimes to skyrocket because people aren't accountable anymore because they're not allowed to pursue. They're not allowed to chase unless certain things are uh, established beforehand, which makes it very difficult. And he goes into that. He says, again, zero accountability here. Two to three times a week, we get calls now of shots fired due to personal citizens finding their stolen vehicle. Citizens are going out actually looking for their (laughs) stolen items anymore and attempting to recover it while they're armed 
because they know that the cops can't recover it for them due to the new laws. He said a couple months ago there was a shooting and the suspect shot someone and police knew the guy was on foot behind a department store. Knew that he was behind. But because of the new laws that were in place, it prevented them from detaining the suspect until they had positively identified the suspect and gained probable cause for his arrest. For our listeners who are listening, now this makes sense to Cam and I just off the top of, of how we police. But when we respond to an area of shots fired, we have a suspect that's on foot. We're setting up containment and we have units going west and north and south and east to try to contain the area specifically that the suspect is in. This officer up in Washington, our good friend, says that the new laws in Washington of this whole police reform say, nope, not only can you not contain and pursue this individual because you haven't identified him yet. They have to identify him in order to basically say the crime that he committed, okay, now we know him, now we can pursue an arrest, and we have to have probable cause, but we have to identify him first. Well, and that's the big kicker, too, that you brought up that maybe some of our listeners don't understand is you mentioned probable cause. So for our listeners out there, probable cause is a standard we need to make in order to make a physical arrest of someone and book them into jail for said offense. This is basically saying before you can even stop and detain someone. So a lot of times probable cause comes down to our interview as well with the suspect, right? Right. right. They can't have any of that. They have to establish probable cause. So what would that be? You need to have a possible identification. They can say what the clothing was. Did you see them on video surveillance doing that? Uh, all of these do types have, of things. Do you have a name of the individual who's wearing said clothing? I exactly. Mean, it, it's, it's ridiculous. That is not an easy standard to hit in the beginning parts of a case. And now who's to say this guy doesn't go off and, and shoot more people, exactly. steal another car, so on and so forth. And case law in the in for police does allow us to stop and detain, in this situation, a male walking back there with the information we have until we, you know, have enough to either charge them or release them because we, we don't have enough. Exactly. Yeah. And that, they can't even do that anymore because Washington has changed those laws. Um, and so, again, going back to this article that John is writing, he says that staffing crisis is occurring. We have another friend that worked for this same department. And a lot of what's going on with the law change, police reform, everything is causing individuals to leave the department saying, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. It's hard enough to do this job. It's so dangerous, but yet we go out there and then we have to look victims in the eye, like in Washington, because of these, these ridiculous, ridiculous new laws and say, I can't help you. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I know he's behind that department store, but I don't know who he is. So per the new laws, I can't detain him because I don't have probable cause. I haven't identified him. I haven't put him on scene yet. Basically, they, they have to work backwards before they, they actually detain and say, look, you're not free to leave and so that you can have people establish that probable cause while the individual is being detained. Well, by the time you find out that the individual is who he is, they're gone. So, yeah. They're gone. Yeah, and there's, I mean, pay bonuses they can help out for officers that are currently working maybe help them stay something like that uh, and it can help with getting more officers help 
that's not a solution at all. Um, and and by help, that's that I'm talking about. That's just people who are already looking at going into law enforcement, you know, versus a lot of people looking to going into law enforcement and be like, oh, that that pay is not going to cut it because of X, Y, and Z. But no, they need uh, support. We need to have laws that support the officers' um, retirement. Uh, there's a lot that goes on. Community support is mm-hmm. huge. Yep. Um, we're we're lucky Can't enough tell to tell you how a, big that is. Yeah. We're lucky enough to be in a community a community that really does support us, but we're still we've been understaffed for several years now. Well, and and that continues to be an issue. And it, it's hard to find the top of the top. I mean, let's be honest, as a law abiding citizen, you want your police department to be tops. You want your police uh, officers to be extremely well-trained that when you need them the most, they're going to be able to handle any situation that you're going through. I, I, I would doubt anybody in their worst day and in, in their worst moment would be like, ah, no, I, I still want somebody else because I don't trust the cops. I don't, it, that, that doesn't make any sense. Even individuals that we've dealt with as repeat offenders, we know that we at times receive calls from them because they are being victimized mm. and we show up for them as well. And this is something that if it hasn't happened to you, I hope it doesn't for most of our listeners, but at some point you're going to be a victim of something. That's just the statistical uh, outlook of life. Yeah. I mean, you're at some point going to need to have some type of law enforcement contact and you want your cops to be in tune. Well, this article ends with uh, the common question of, uh, or a statement um, that there are so many other occupations that pay better and they're less dangerous. Why would anyone want to be a cop these days? So I've had that question mm-hmm. numerous times. Why would you want to be a cop? Like, yep. I can't figure it out. But then I've also heard numerous officers who have kids who it used to be, yeah, I'd be totally cool with my kid being a cop right. when they grow up. Or we have a lot of officers that their parents were cops and you know they kind of got to see how they helped the community so on and so forth nowadays the all i really hear from officers is now nah, i'm not gonna let my kid be a cop oh, absolutely it's not worth it i think i told you we were talking about it i told you about that survey within our state and they did uh there was a, a survey conducted within our state and it was uh, centered at asking law enforcement um about their pay about their pension and and how likely they would or how much they enjoy their career and how likely they would to suggest it to their loved ones and friends and things like that. Well, they, they first asked that and did it started that survey back in 2011. And at that point, I want to say if the numbers are right, and I don't have it pulled up here, but I believe when we were talking about it, didn't I tell you it was close to 60%? Close to 60% yeah. of individuals said, yes, I plan on uh, completing my retirement with the years that I have required for my state. Uh, yeah, we could always use more money. Uh, the pension's pretty good. Yes, I would suggest it to my kids and, and loved ones, friends. They did the same questionnaire to law enforcement 10 years later. So we're talking now 2021, just a 10-year difference. And with the narrative that's out there nationwide and the results, like I was mentioning to you, were just outrageous. Where it used to be 60%, it was in the teens. And I yeah. believe it was right around 14 to 16%. Yeah. 
were happy with their career, their pay, their pension. And uh, only 14 to 16% said that they would suggest this to their kids, loved ones, friends. That's, that's crazy. Yep. But I don't think that that's too far off of the national standard with what yeah. we're seeing in major cities and, and retirements at a high, uh, people quitting, saying, I'm going to go to the private sector. Yep. All right. Hit number four for us. All right. With all of the infrastructure and recovery money being handed out by Congress, that should help law enforcement, right? So, anyways, he goes on in the in the article to say, neither the recently passed one point two trillion infrastructure investment and jobs act nor the one point seven five trillion build uh, back better act still under uh, consideration have language about improved pay, benefits, training, or working conditions for law enforcement, which is uh, at least as important as bike lanes, stormwater management, and invasive plant elimination. So basically, there's, there's a lot of stuff that is important for this country, right? And, you know, our, the elected officials in our current community have made it known that first responders and city employees are one of the most important things that make this city tick and keep right. it functioning. That needs to translate to that federal level. So all of this stuff, like it's mentioned in here, is not designed for first responders, law enforcement, any of those types of things. It, it, At all. It addresses some stuff in here, and I'm sure some of these have val validation as to why they need to be looked at, but it still does not hit what needs to be addressed at least for law enforcement. And none of that money is for the training or for law enforcement. And that's what people don't understand. You know, the infrastructure investment and jobs act, the build back better act, the Biden administration has come out and they said, no, we, we support our law enforcement because that was something that was hit very hard when they took office. Uh, Biden and his administration, when they took office was, well, here, here's all these uh, protests and, defund the police. And, and they promised, they said, no, we support our law enforcement. And in fact, Saki in, in a lot of the news uh, press releases that she conducted for the white house said that we want to fund more to the police, but where's it at? Yeah. So on a federal level, it's one thing for a, a low locality, you know, a city locality in, in a state to put money into law enforcement and say, yeah, as a state, as a city, we need to do better. We need to have better trained law enforcement uh, agencies. But on a federal level, where they say the promise is there, yes, we want to fund more, it's not there. And in these major, major acts, they're talking about providing money um, to bike lanes and stormwater management and invasive plant elimination. But there's nothing for first responders. And there's nothing for the, and, and it's not for first responders. Don't think of it as a selfish thing like cops are saying, well, give us the money now. Show us the money. It's for your safety. Everything we do is for the public's safety. Mm -hmm. And so if you want your city to be a, a safe zone for your, your family, for your kids to be able to walk down the street, for your kids to be able to ride a bike, you know, when I was growing up, I, I, my friends and I would go to a, a corner gas station, get some candy, and we would just leave our bikes there. Gone are the days, right? Yep. But this is what John is trying to hit upon with this myth and saying, well, there's money available. And yeah, there, there's uh, things in place to where law enforcement is going to get their money, but it, 
we haven't seen it on the federal level like you pointed out. Yeah, so there's every every agency, you know, budgets can be found as to to what police are spending and stuff like that. And that is, you know, kind of gone through with a, you know, fine tooth comb to figure out what's going to be approved, what's not going to be approved. And everything you see law enforcement has and stuff is it costs money. And a lot of times a lot of money because companies know they can charge, uh, especially if they've got something like a body worn camera, not a lot out there. If someone's got a very, um, well-established one like an axon that is known to function very well um, and all that stuff they can charge pretty much what they want right and police departments have to okay so you see police officers wearing that what you don't see is they had to forgo getting new firearms new less lethal their squad cars are falling apart because they didn't have the money to do those, but they are required to have body cameras. So they had to invest that money to that. Right. And those are the types of things that can really help out law enforcement. When we talk about money, you have body worn cameras, uh, storage systems, um, less lethal. That's a big requirement in law enforcement right now, less lethal options and all of those things. And it's not cheap. Even the practice rounds cost typically more than the actual rounds, which is what's crazy. You can't just put a left, uh, less lethal or less than lethal uh, weapon in a cop's hand and say, go at it. There's training that's involved. And many of those less lethal have to do with uh, training rounds. And it, it, it's just a ching, 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 just continues to rise with money. But this is what's being demanded, right? Because they say as part of law enforcement reform, we want you guys to make your split second decisions better, which is really tough thing to satisfy to begin with but it's what everyone's requiring now it's like we need you guys even though you, we know you wear a lot of hats your split second decisions need to be on point and 100 percent and perfect every single time <laughs> yep very very difficult we're gonna skip number five because we are actually gonna dedicate an entire uh our next episode uh to this subject we're gonna leave you on the hook there for a little bit and it's something that's uh, long overdue with us talking about it, but we'll delve in deep. So we're going to jump to number six. It says police work is glamorous. This one made me laugh a little bit because we, we hear this a lot. And I don't care whether it's a doctor, uh, an attorney, or someone that just owns their own business. You know, it's almost like, tell me your best story, right? Yeah. It's always, no matter what group setting you're in, it's like, hey, tell me a story. Tell me something wild that you've done. And you're just like going through your mental Rolodex and saying, uh, pick a day. Yeah. Pick a day. But they, they think it's so glamorous because they watch things like Blue Bloods and Hawaii Five-0, uh, Law, uh, Law and Order, SVU, just like John pointed out in this that one, article. That one was, I mean, maybe wrong of me to, to find funny, but the special victims unit. And that's, oh, yeah. that's glamorous. Like you literally dealing with yeah, we some of the gnarliest it. cases, but that's glamorous. We, we lived it. And I'm going to tell you right now, it is anything but yeah. glamorous. And I'll tell you the majority of law enforcement, I hate to break it to people. The majority of law enforcement is not exciting. No. It is a ton of typing. It is a ton of articulating. It is a ton of, you know, we responded here and it's this crime and, and, and you're, you're documenting interviews because you're putting together a case, whether it needs to be forwarded to investigations for follow-up and further investigation. 
but the majority of what you do as a cop is very uh, mundane and typing. Yeah, and and as well as on the other spectrum of it is, have you ever had to hear a mom screaming, crying, just sinking in your soul as you're trying to revive their their infant, and their infant doesn't make it? Absolutely, it's stuff like that. There is so much going on. I don't, I don't. It's hard to put in into words some of the stuff that officers have to see, be exposed to. Yeah. I remember one time I was on a call where an individual had committed suicide by gunshot. And we went into this house to clear it and came out. And I remember this neighbor, she looked very sad. And she was like, I'm so sorry you had to see that. And I was like, see what? And it, it took me a second because it just becomes so normal yeah. that we deal with stuff like that. And it's just, it's not glamorous. You get an officer-involved shooting on the shows, they go out to the bar that night and have a good time. Yeah. Uh, that's not real life. No. You know, you're, you're, they're picking through everything that was done. What's your uniform look like? What was your actions? Did you make this happen? Did they make it happen? All of these things. And this is a month-long process where you just sit there stewing on, playing it over and over in your head. Was there over anything I could, have done, I could have done? You know, those types of things. And for anyone that, that has uh, obviously never had a loved one involved in law enforcement in a gnarly situation like that, officer-involved shooting, uh, where it's a use of force, where someone's life was taken, um, you just don't understand. You just don't understand what that, that cop is going through. You know, people think, I, I hate the narrative out there. I, I hate the national narrative when I... I see the constants on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all the comments saying that law enforcement officers are just out there willingly just shooting and we've, we've got a license to murder. If you saw the anguish that an officer goes through and the second guessing and they're like, did I do it correctly? Could I have done anything else? Just like you mentioned, could it, that's probably one of the biggest things. Could I have done something else? without making that decision at that moment that my life was in danger, other people's lives were in danger, and I had to pull that trigger. People just don't understand. And out of everything that they criticize in law enforcement, it's the times that officers have to use lethal, lethal force and the, the narrative back push on those officers that, that honestly angers me the most because they, they just don't see what we've seen with our fellow officers that have had to go through that. Yep. Very frustrating. Um, but again, hate to break it to y'all. Uh, it's, it's just not all glamorous. And, and believe me, we see things that you will, you would never want to see or deal with for that matter. Uh, myth number seven, social workers, community service officers, mental health specialists, and unarmed traffic agents can replace police officers. I, I don't even know what to say about this, man. Like, more and more, I never uh, heard this as strongly, with, except within the last couple of years. But that's why John is writing about it, because it is such a topic of, of conversation. This one, this one, I think a year, maybe 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 a year and a half ago, this would have been up there near number one, I think. Because that was being pushed pretty it's hard. Dropping. So the reason this is dropping is because this was tested by several agencies across the country. Uh, and it, it did not work out. There was a lot of social workers or mental health specialists killed, um, seriously injured, wounded. Um, 
there are ways that some of these people could work with law enforcement. Some really big agencies can have a psychologist with an officer. Yeah. Where the officer yeah. deems it safe. Psychologist can talk to the person, but the officer's still there. But I mean, we're our agency, we're using them all the time now. All the time. Way more than we used to, and I love it. But we still stay for safety we're purposes there. if if they require us yes. to be there. I mean, if the individual is deemed um, unpredictable. Now, now mental illness is unpredictable to begin with. But if if said mental health patient doesn't have a history of being violent or anything like that, a lot of times uh, they're already this team is already aware, and they say, "You know, we're good. You know, we'll handle it from here." And we appreciate that. I mean, we're you're not going to have any officer shed tears and be like, "Oh, I can't believe I can't respond to that." No, because we know that there are individuals that are. Uh, Day in and day out, that's what they do for a living, and that's what they're trained in, is to help individuals that are in these uh, mental health crisis situations. Even though we're trained, it's to an extent. And we're really there for the safety of everyone, and we don't want to push and escalate things past to what they need to be. Yeah, and so unarmed traffic agents. Um, There was some talk of agencies doing this. I think some did implement it. Um, or at least give it a trial run. Here's some of the issues. So I don't have stats in front of me, but domestic violence is one of the most dangerous things officers deal with. Mm-hmm. Another big danger we deal with is traffic stops. 100%. You know, a lot of times people see the lights in their mirror. If they're a felon, you know, it, they don't want to go back to jail, whatever it is, or they're a homicide suspect flagged in the, the national system that, this is where that fight or flight takes place. And if they're already one of those dangerous people, it's usually the fight aspect. You have an unarmed um, traffic agent that makes a traffic stop on someone and they're a convicted felon and they're wanted for aggravated assault and they have a warrant. And they don't want to be identified. Yeah. What do you do? What do you do as soon as they get out of the car? I mean, you can see just a little Google, you can see traffic stops where officers make the stop before they even get out of the car, suspects getting out shooting at the car. And we are armed. And they're so, already getting the jump on us. Yep. So it's... Uh, I can't tell you how dangerous that is. People, please. I mean, this is so ridiculous. I, Especially the unarmed traffic agents. My goodness. The mental health specialists, they have their place, but they can't, not, they, they can't respond to all mental issues by themselves because that will become extremely dangerous to them. We had one the other day um, where a male, he was up on uh, a high part of the city where he could he could do some damage if he wanted to, but mental health, and he had a firearm. Mm-hmm. We don't have officers that can respond to that. What's the issue? Mm-hmm. Who, who deals with that? Yeah. It's kind of like... Uh, the mental one, health specialists, the community service officers, the unarmed traffic agents. Like, who's, who's going to handle that? Yeah. And again... Like, like we've said, these people all may have, have a place, you know, unarmed traffic agent that does a meter maid type thing. Okay. Mental health specialist, kind of like how we deal with it. Yeah, we can utilize them. But the myth is that, and the hope when this stuff started going around, was that they would remove law enforcement altogether. altogether. And so that's that what, scenario that was I goal. just gave, who, who deals with that at that point? Right. Who do you call? Let's be reasonable about this. There are tweaks that we can make, and we have openly admitted that in past episodes. There are things that we can do better as a nation, even within our own department, that can make things better. That's just, that's life. 
you're, you're never going to be perfect. So you're always refining things. You know, maybe this worked 10 years ago, maybe it's not working now, but you have to stay on top of things like that. We're not saying that, that having law enforcement respond to every single situation is in the betterment of every situation. That's, mm-hmm. I don't think any officer would ever say that. But for individuals to push this myth and say that these individuals are good replacements for police officers is outrageous. There's just no way. You just can't do it. But if you disagree with us, go ahead and hit us up on Facebook and have this discussion with us. I mean, if there's uh, questions that you have or maybe a viewpoint that you think that we haven't hit, by all means, hit us up. Uh, Myth number eight, police unions are powerful and always get their way. Huh. Actually, interesting. I don't. Hey, let's go back to that, uh, the pay one, and and all of those things, and mm-hmm. and helping us out. Let's just go on strike. Yeah. How will that work out? Uh, yeah. So, uh, people that don't know, um, even with a union, like you go to, I don't know. Let's go to the union capital of the United States. Probably one of them, at least. You go to Nevada, right? And all the casinos. It's like unions are rampant. And if uh, unions are negotiating pay for all the people that work in a casino that are with that union and the union doesn't like it, they can go on strike. Across the nation, even police departments, fire departments um, that are represented by unions, ask us whether we can go on strike. I'm gonna t- it's illegal. Newsflash for anyone that didn't know that. Police officers and firefighters cannot Go on straight. You will lose your job. Yeah, just turn in your badge before you do it. Might as well. And the blue flu, like, <laughs> I got the black look. Yeah, the yeah, massive we, walkout. Yeah, we mm, can't do that. Nope. You can't do that either. You can't sit there and fake it because, again, you will lose your job. Um, John mentions in this, he says, uh, Chicago police went for four years without a contract. Four years without Chicago going to the table with the union and doing anything. And so, again, the myth is, well, these guys are backed and they have this union and they have people that are just so powerful. It's like change is just so hard. It's just not there. Well, hey, during those four years, they also had mandatory overtime. And a lot of times their days off were canceled. Now, tell me, all of you that work in the private sector, think about that for a second. And you went to your boss and you said, hey, I want this time off. Boom, you get it planned two-week vacation man you've been looking for it uh looking forward to it your kids are looking forward to it. your spouse whoever i don't care who maybe you it's just you and then your boss comes to you and says ah by the way yeah office space or whatever that yeah. that movie yeah yeah i'm gonna need, gonna you, need to you to work <laughs> yeah yeah and you're gonna put in the time because we have to newsflash for people that didn't understand this part we if we have a major incident go down in our city we can technically be called out even if it's on our day off. We get that call and we say, this major incident is going on. We're understaffed on the streets. Because we can't leave the citizens without that protection and without first responders, guess who comes out? Unions do not always protect law enforcement. They definitely have their place. Mm. Um, But this whole myth that they're so powerful and that police officers and first responders always get their way, Negative. Doesn't happen. Myth number nine, minor traffic offenses should be ignored and the police should be fighting real crime. 
Now, I've heard this on a daily. This one's a big one. You deal with it all the time when you're dealing with someone. They say the rapist is happening over there or somewhere yeah. in the city. Go deal with them. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you. Let me uh, give an example here um, of minor traffic offenses. I want everybody to think back to 1995 and think of a major incident that happened in Oklahoma City. And there's a man by the name of Timothy McVeigh. Mm-hmm. Guess how Mr. Timothy McVeigh, for our listeners who aren't uh, history buffs or, or maybe you just weren't in the know with how that story went down, guess how Mr. McVeigh was caught? It was a minor traffic offense. Yeah. Matter of fact, matter of fact, it was a missing license plate. Yeah, and if you don't know, that was that massive bombing. Huge. In Oklahoma. That was a minor traffic offense. Let me tell you, uh, for all law-abiding citizens, I'm not talking about the ones that are constantly uh, putting the pedal to the metal, want to speed everywhere, uh, don't want to pay the DMV to re-up registrations, things like that. They don't want to replace a, a tail light. They don't. I could go on and on and on about minor traffic offenses. I'm going to tell you right now some of the best police work and some of the big, biggest cases are blown open. I gave a major example with Timothy McVeigh, but even within our city and within our department, how many cases have you blown open by a minor traffic offense? Yeah, one of my, uh, specifically one of my rape cases that I investigated was solved based off of a, Minor traffic events. That's what corroborated the entire thing. Exactly. But I mean, so there's, there's two ways you can look at this. So there's been a few cities and he talks about in the article, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Seattle, um, banned the enforcement of minor traffic offenses. Philadelphia recently has come out saying they are going to come up with a aggressive plan to deal with. If you're not following it, they've got a dirt bike, ATV, just do what you want going on down there. Like there are posses of hundreds of them just driving around on sidewalks, all sorts of stuff. That's not dangerous at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and the other way you can look at this is the broken windows theory. This was made really big um, back in the nineties. New York PD kind of was like the, the ones that really made this get the attention of law enforcement. But it's basically this theory, you know, if you have a violent crimes area, that's got a lot of violent crime. You can't just go in there and be like, all right, we're going to aggressively go after the robberies and the homicides here. You've got to go all the way down to the little things. People need to realize that laws are laws. We're going to enforce them. So if it's abandoned vehicles, graffiti, you start with minor traffic offenses and you just show in our community, we want order and this is how we do it. And that saw a dramatic decrease in crime. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I didn't even mention it, um, but just so everyone knows, he, he talks about it, doesn't go into depth with it, but uh, I'm a big uh, serial killer uh, enthusiast, so to speak. If there's documentaries and things like that, especially when I was in investigations, um, even when I was going through college, I, I just had this fascination with uh, investigations into serial killers. I, I how these individuals operate. I mean, that's, we can, we can talk about that in another, but again, speaking of minor traffic offenses, many serial killers have been caught on traffic stops and they haven't been major 
traffic incidents. We're talking minor traffic offenses. Yeah. So if you choose as a city to put people into office that have ridiculous ideas like this, just know that you could be a victim, a family member can be a victim, and you may never receive justice. That's good police work. I'm telling you right now, minor traffic offenses can oftentimes lead to big things, just like you pointed out with a pers personal example. All right, we're going to down the home stretch here, myth number 10. But this goes back to something that we kind of already touched upon. A lot of people say, look, when I dial 911, there will always be someone sent out to help. But some of this mindset is, whether it's a social worker or whether somebody else, somebody's going to be there to help me. Well, we've already talked about how that's just not going to be possible. But when you're, when you're speaking of police, yeah, you call 911. There is always going to be a call created for you. But depending on the exigency of your personal call, you could be a hundred calls behind yeah. off of honestly more exigent and more important. We got to get there now type situations. And so John talks about in this article that police in Austin, Texas are no longer responding to non-emergencies, including verbal disturbances, theft and prostitution, which are no longer an active threat to the people or the property of the community. Um, and that's because they are understaffed. It, it reverts back to one of the previous myths saying, just throw more money out there, throw more bonuses out there. We are seeing law enforcement nationwide just leave in droves. They're going, they are fleeing because we, we, we feel that pressure and many of them don't feel respected anymore. They don't get the handshakes walking down the street where back in the day they say, thank you for your service. Thank you so very much on what you do. Thank you for keeping our community safe a lot of times that's gone. Mm -hmm. I have multiple friends in law enforcement that say they haven't heard that in forever in a day. Forever in a day. And it's already such a tough profession for you to go through and be like, I'm just like all my work, all my hustle, everything I do for the community and, and how I put myself at risk and, and the worry that my kids feel and that my spouse feels it's just not appreciated. You can see why people are leaving. And there's a domino effect that's associated with this myth and saying, look, someone will always be there for me. And that's just not accurate. Yeah, and it definitely won't be in the timely manner that a lot of people think it will be in. Uh, we see this uh, pretty frequently. You know, people... Um, I've dealt with a lot of people who will say... Um, you know, I, I think my situation was pretty bad. You know, everyone has a different background. Some people might come from a, an area that's got very little crime. They go visit a city that's got larger crime, say like a Las Vegas or an L.A., and they have a situation their vehicle was burgled, burglarized. That To them, maybe it was a, a, a family artifact in there that meant a lot to them. Mm. It's a big deal for them. They call 911. Cops are coming. Boom. They're just hit with a, hey, go online, fill out a report. Mm -hmm. um, or, or a call is created, and then you're sitting there. You call back after waiting for three hours. Hey, what's going on? And dispatch just tells them, hey, we're really busy. 
The officer will get there when they can. So you keep waiting. It's now 10 o'clock at night. You get a call from an officer. You're like, oh, sweet. Hey, this is going to have to hold till tomorrow. Hopefully another, we'll have it open first thing in the morning. Hopefully an officer can get out to you then. But we have too many in progress going on. Was it uh, Flint, Michigan? That, that documentary yeah. that we were talking yeah. about, man, you're talking, you're talking a major aggravated uh, robbery and they couldn't respond for over 24 hours yep. because they are so understaffed. And these cities, on all these other myths, myths that we have talked about here, if, if your city or your state goes this way, which John mentioned in this article, saying all these major cities, like the Minneapolis, like the Chicago, like the Seattle, if you choose to go so progressive and you're trying to think outside the box, which is, is very much progressivism, and, and there's a place for that. But when you go so far outside the box where you are delving into an arena where, that you just don't fully understand and know the domino effect that's happening, because all those major cities, because of what they've done, because of money they've taken away from law enforcement, and because of these new laws that have been put into place, have a skyrocket crime rate now, major crime rate. And then go watch uh, the documentary. If any of you have not seen the Flint, Michigan documentary, go ahead and watch it. See what's happened to that department just outside of Detroit. Yep. See what's happened to them. Because they're, it's such a small department, but their major crime rate is so high. And they just do not have the personnel to respond. It's sad. Yep, for sure. Well, those are the, the 10 myths that we had here. Uh, hit us up on either... Facebook or, uh, you know, reach out to us, however, however you deem fit, but we want to hear from you. Uh, let us know if you've, if you've heard any other myths or something you've heard and you've never been able to validate if it's real or not. And we'll, we'll debunk that and either tell you it's true or it's not true or, or whatever, but we'll continue to clear those corners. Peace, my dad, it hurt.